Well, I heard the music stop a second ago, and I think that was my cue. I was supposed to jump up here. All right, welcome back, and uh, let's go ahead and find our places. We are stepping into the next season, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to believe, isn't it, that summer's almost over? I mean, I mean, officially we have a month of summer, but like a lot of the summer activities are almost over. Kids are back to school this week. Some of the parents are like, whew, that's awesome. Um, man, we're... We're, but we're doing all we can here at First Baptist Church anyway to, you know, wring every little last bit of life out of this summer break before we get back into it, right? So we got the picnic next week. That's a lot of fun. We look forward to that sort of thing. I mean, these are, you know, you want to make the most of these last days of summer. Um, it's, it's the season that typically most of us, as we trudge through the winter, look forward to. So we'll have some fun together before, before that's all done. But as I was thinking about we're in the last days of summer, I was thinking, well, the Bible talks about the last days, but it's entirely different, right? So when the Bible talks about the last days, you know, it's talking about the end of the church age. It's talking about the soon coming of the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. And when the Bible talks about the last days, it has certain characteristics that it talks about. For example, one of the characteristics is that there'll be scoffers. That's the word the Bible uses, scoffers. In other words, there's going to be people in the last days, who refuse to accept that it's the last days. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 3 and 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So we can stand up and proclaim how the Bible has all this indication that we're in the last days, there's going to be people around you that'll be like, yeah, right, whatever. People have been talking about that forever. Oh, well, thank you, sir, for confirming the Bible. Uh, other characteristics, widespread apostasy. Um, we see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That's the rapture of the church that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ, the rapture of the church. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. A widespread apostasy. People who previously held a standing position of faithfulness are going to start to drop like flies. That's what's going to happen in the last days before the day of Jesus Christ. Well, one thing that I want us to look at today, and this is in your notes, is the last days before the rapture of the church will be characterized by misplaced love. It'll be characterized by misplaced love. We're talking about the love of God as our summer series. Misplaced love is a characteristic of the last days. Second Timothy Chapter 3, verse number 1, know, This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then it goes on to describe these perilous times, right? It says, for men shall be, here we go, lovers of their own selves. Misplaced love. And loving your own self, you could argue, is just then described in more detail by the rest of the list. You're covetous. You desire stuff for yourself. You're a boaster. You think really highly of yourself. You're proud. You're taking care of number one, right? You're a blasphemer, so, so God is going to take a lower place. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. Okay, that doesn't just necessarily mean people who are homosexual or whatever, but not having natural affection could also mean just not being willing to reciprocate genuine love that's offered. Whether that be from your parents, as children find themselves in these last days disobedient to parents, or from God. God offers you his love, and, well, you don't reciprocate. Well, that's going against what would be considered natural affection. Truce breakers, people who make a vow and break it. That's what we see in divorces. That's what we see when people break their promises. False accusers. A victim mentality that exists in society where everything is everybody else's fault. I'm accusing everybody else for all the problems that I have. 
Nothing's my fault. Incontinent means you have no restraint. Fierce, evil, or mean-spirited, despisers of those that are good, traitors, kind of like truce breakers, heady, high-minded, again, similar to proud. Here we have another misplaced love, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness. They're religious, but they deny the power thereof. No love relationship. These are the last days. And it says, from such turn away. Turn away from such people when you find them. Why? Because they're dangerous to your spiritual health. It's perilous. These are perilous times that we live in. The problem with this is, is that truly living in the last days like we do, well, we're surrounded by such people all the time everywhere we go. From such turn away might find you in a very small circle of people. But they are perilous times. Why should we do this? Why are, people, why is every, why are there more and more people in this category? Well, because it's the last days. That's why. Because it's the last days. So we're going to conclude our summer series on the love of God here today. And uh, we've chosen the title for today, Love in the Last Days. Love in the Last Days. So there's no shortage of love going around these days. I mean, that's for sure, right? There's the lovers of pleasures. There's the lovers of self and, and some other things, as we'll see. But those things are, well, they're destroying people. It's the wrong kind of love. We see in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world. There's another one. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, well, one thing's for sure. The love of the Father is not in him. Now let me just tell you, that doesn't necessarily mean if you turn to love the things of this world, God won't love you anymore. It's not what it's saying. It's saying while you are loving the world, there's something you're not loving. It's the Father. The love of the Father from your part, right? It's not in you. Culturally, we're programmed in our society these days to define love as whatever feels good, whatever makes me happy. But pursuing that kind of a definition of love really in your life, well, it's an empty road. The Proverbs gives us warning in Proverbs 21, 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, a lot of you know, for the love of money, it's the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, not much joy, not he who dies with the most toys wins. They've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Why? Because they have misplaced love. They're putting their love in the wrong thing. I want you to step back for a second and just think, sometimes simplifying situations just clarifies and makes it all a lot easier. What is the one big truth of Christianity? I mean, if this was a quiz, odds are most all of you would get this one. What is the one big truth of Christianity? You might phrase it different ways. You might say the resurrection, and that would be the right answer. Or you might just say eternal life. The big truth of Christianity is there is life after this life. You can live forever with the Lord. And you can know that you can live forever with the Lord through the assurance of salvation that comes by faith in His Word. In other words, physical death is not the end. Glory to God. Physical death is just the next thing, but your life will continue to live forever with the Lord if you know Him as your Savior. This physical life is not all we get. So let's quit living like it. Let's quit living like this physical life is all we get. Let's wring every last bit of life out. Let's get all we can get. Let's live it to the very last moment for ourselves. Well, that would, that would be unwise. You see, we've messed up love. 
But can I tell you this morning, God hasn't messed it up. He's got it right. And the last mention of the word love, as it applies to us as Christians, will show us exactly how God exercises his love in the last days, when the times are perilous. We started off this series looking at the very first mention of the word love, and we're going to wrap it up today looking at the very last one. I'm going to read for you a passage of Scripture. We're really going to focus on one verse, but follow with me in Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 14 and go to the end of the chapter. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. This is the verse we're going to look at in more detail today. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith under the churches. Let's let that be our prayer as we go to the Lord now for just a second. Heavenly Father, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say unto this church. And may you take your word and your spirit and make it clear for each and every one of us. Each of us comes with a different set of specific individual circumstances. And may we see our lives, Lord, in the mirror of your word and be honest enough to receive whatever it is the message that your spirit would have for each and every one of us, that we would walk away loving you more than ever and making it clear in our lives that we do. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We pray in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, the first thing I want us to look at is what I'm calling love replaced. And we're going to go actually back to Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 4. Actually, this would be the second to last reference of the word love, and it will set up our study where it says in Revelation 2 and verse number 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, this is the letter that Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, the first of the seven churches, the Laodiceans. That's the seventh of the seven churches. And so here in this first letter to the first church of the seven listed in Revelation 2 and 3, it mentions our first love, our first love. Now, when the Bible talks about the first love, what he's not talking about is the first thing you've ever loved. He's not talking about the first thing that you've ever loved. When he says your first love, what he's talking about is your preeminent love. He's talking about the love that should be before every other love. He's talking about the most important love. That's what he's talking about. And earlier in this, uh, in this series, back in July, we saw, and we've, saw, we've seen many times over again, Matthew 22, 36 to 39, where we hear about the first and great commandment. And the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And so loving God is the first commandment. It's, it's to be your first love, without question. Therefore, Jesus expects it to be so, so he can say something like Matthew 10 and verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, he, what he's not saying, he that loveth father or mother more than I love your father and mother, no, that would be different. He's saying if you love the members of your family, which, granted, should be probably the strongest loves we have on this earth, if you have your family love greater than your love for me, the Lord, 
then your family love is your first love, and I am no longer your first love. You see how that goes? Jesus says, if you love me first, there'll be plenty left over. There's plenty to go around to everybody else in your family and even to reach out unto this world. But you have to love me first, and that's what he's saying. So because the, the thing the Ephesian church blew was they left their first love. And that's a problem in these last days. So if we just review the things that we learned, obviously God loved us first. He, he's the first one that demonstrated his love to us. We reciprocate our love back to him because he started the whole thing, right? Jesus commanded us to love our enemies in Matthew chapter 5. And, well, that's not something that he didn't do in Romans 5, 8. We see how God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, sinners, unsaved, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So Jesus demonstrated this whole love your enemies thing when he gave his life to pay the penalty for the sins of his enemies. His enemies. His love is, without question, the greatest gift we've ever received. It, it, offers, it offers to us the greatest gift that we recognize, and that would be eternal life. 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What manner of love. Jesus started the whole ball rolling. Jesus did it all first. Jesus offered his love to us first. He proved that he did everything right. And now we come full circle to the very end of the church age, 2,000 years later. And here we are in the very last days, in the days of Laodicea. Well, and starting with the admonition actually to Ephesus, I recognize, but it, we see it applies to us as well that what people are doing, well, they're replacing their love for God with other loves. It says they left their first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. They left it for another. They replaced it. That's why I'm calling this point love replaced. They replaced their first love with other loves, new loves. They found a better love in their mind. They're going to love their self. They're going to love pleasures. They're going to love the world. They're going to love money. They're going to love wine. They're going to love oil. They're going to love success. They're going to love whatever it is that they think makes them feel good. And they leave their first love. Now to bring this home a little bit, let me ask you a question. And please don't respond, of course. I mean, everybody's had different life experiences, and I don't mean to make light of it, but has anyone ever left you? Have you ever known anybody who somebody near to them left them? They stopped loving you? They started loving somebody else instead of you? That's awful. It hurts. It cuts you deep. Now, I understand that country music wouldn't have any business if that didn't happen. <laughs> but can I say to you, Jesus would never do that to you. Jesus will never do that to you. Why would you do that to him? Why would you do that to him? I've heard people say, my spouse left me for another, and now I'm mad at God. So they leave God. I just don't understand. What did he do? What did he do? You see, this time of life, this attitude, it's dangerous. It's perilous. That's why Paul said, from such turn away. You see, once you leave that first love, all bets are off. All bets are off. Some of you might remember that there was a contemporary Christian music artist named Ray Boltz. He left his very successful career as a 
musician and musical artist and 2008, he left his wife of 33 years and came out that he was gay. And when he did that, he wrote a song that was called, Don't Tell Me Who to Love. And in the lyrics of the song, it says, Don't tell me who to love, don't tell me who to kiss, don't tell me that there's something wrong, because I feel like this. Oh, well, thanks, Ray. I didn't realize that your feelings are now the final authority over the, God, over the Word of God. Listen, people struggle with what they struggle with, and I'm not trying to make light of that, but I'm just saying, you can't cast down all biblical truth because you feel something. Recently, we hear of a Christian author, Joshua Harris, who kissed dating goodbye. Now, recently, he's kissed his wife goodbye. And, well, he's been seen promoting gay pride rallies. See, all, all bets are off when you leave the first love. There's a Hillsong worship leader, renounces his faith, and left his first love, walked away from God. Why? Well, I don't think it's a stretch to propose the possibility that he never had really had any real understanding of God in the first place. I'm not his judge, but he is quoted as saying he thinks the Bible is full of contradictions and that it would be unjust for God to send billions of people to hell just because they don't believe. Well, I mean, what kind of a relationship did he really have in the first place? And Listen, all seriously, please don't let music artists, Christian or otherwise, set your standard for truth. Amen? How does anything like that happen? Oh, how does it happen? Well, let's get some answers. You leave your first love by leaving three specific things. The first one is very clear. The Word of God. Your personal time in the Word of God. When you begin to distance yourself and not remain faithful to your daily, regular time in the Word of God, well, what you're saying is, Lord, I'm not really interested in hearing what you got to say. Oh, we have a problem with the relationship when I don't care about what you say. Right? You married folk know that's true. Try that out at home. Well, the next thing that will happen that's an indicator, right? You leave your first love by leaving number two, prayer. If you're not spending time daily in the Word of God and in prayer... Well, not only are you not allowing the Lord to talk to you, you're refusing to talk to Him. You're giving God the silent treatment. I don't have anything to say to you. And most of you would be like, I would never say that to the Lord. I know. But when's the last time you carved out time all alone just to talk to the Lord? For some people, it's shockingly long since that's happened. He might just miss His time with you. He might just allow some tragedy to occur in your life so you'll start talking to him again. I'm not saying that's always the case, but sometimes it is. Sometimes you have to be knocked down so low, the only place you can look is up. And the Lord says, well, that's all I wanted anyway. I hate it that I had to knock you down a little. Well, you leave your first love by leaving the Word of God, by leaving prayer, and by leaving the church. Of course, that's the other one. The church is the body of Christ. I'm sorry. And if you don't want to hang with God's body, well, there's a problem. And this is what happens with people when they start to, when their love grows cold, when they begin to leave their, their first love, what happens is they'll start just by not really talking to the Lord, not really reading His Word anymore. And they'll still show up in church for a while. But little by little, they're less and le they won't accept opportunities to serve. They won't be faithful to prayer nights or midweek services or other things that we're doing. They're not involved in discipleship anymore. They're not telling their friends about the Lord anymore. They're just Sunday morning attenders. And little by little, they start, you know, inching their way closer to the door and, and, and they're leaving quicker and showing up later and never talking to anybody and 
Before you know it, then finally, finally, the last thing that happens is your body disappears. You, but your mind had checked out a long time ago. That's how you leave your first love. Those are the things that you see. Once those three things happen, you have successfully walked away from God. All personal communication has stopped, and you're not even interested in hanging out with Him anymore. So, you know, spare me your excuses of how you haven't walked away from God, but you just don't like the church. They just don't hold water. Listen, God's love is irreplaceable. Once you begin to wander and shop around, well, that's only as a result of you not having done the work necessary to develop and enjoy that personal relationship. So here's some tips for you. Keep your love fresh. Listen, everybody that's married and has a successful marriage knows you have to work at your marriage because we are all sinners. We are all selfish and we all say and do dumb things. And you have to work at it to keep your love relationship fresh. Don't live in fear. Trust the Lord and He'll take care of everything else. 1 John 4, 16, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Why would you fear? Why would you worry about all the things that are going on in life, all the little problems, all the things that pop up and come, they come and they go? Just love the Lord. Keep your relationship with Him fresh and let Him handle the details. And the other tip that will really help you, keep your vows. Again, this is like a marriage. We are the bride of Christ. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. So like in a marriage, at the moment of your salvation, if you are genuinely born again, you made some vows to the Lord. You made a promise to the Lord. You surrendered your life to his lordship. You surrendered your life to his control. You asked for him to forgive you of your sins, and you asked him to come into your heart and your life and to be your lord and to lead you the rest of the days of your life. If you didn't do that, you may not be saved. If you didn't do that, you can do it today. But if you did do that, and then over time, you started off excited. You started off telling all your lost friends about Jesus. You started off, nobody had to call you and remind you to come to church. Nobody had to call you and remind you to read your Bible. You remember when it was just fun and you enjoyed it and you couldn't wait to hear from the Lord again. And then you don't really even know what happened, but something happened. And now it's kind of a chore. And now it's just, oh man, I'd rather sleep in. And now it's like, uh. How about you just keep your vows? How about you just keep your word? How about you just do what you said? <laughs> you want God to do what he said, right? You want him to follow through on his promises to you. How about we try that? 1 John 2, verse number 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So for those that may have stepped out on Jesus already and are wondering what true love looks like moving forward, well, now we're going to look to Laodicea, the last church of the last days. And our second point today is love represented. And we're just going to look at verse 19, Revelation 3.19, the first part of Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, Jesus says, I rebuke and chasten. 
don't you just feel all warm and cuddly? <laughs> the last letter to the last church gives the last reference to love, and this is true brotherly love. Jesus speaks to the Laodiceans. They clearly have left the Lord for riches. They're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That means the Lord. They don't have need for the Lord either. They don't even recognize the spiritual condition, poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. They don't even recognize it. But Jesus proves his love for them by continuing to call them back and call them back and call them back. In other words, you can leave your first love, but your first love will never leave you. He'll never leave you. The love of God is eternal. Remember last week, what shall separate us from it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not even your carnality. Now, that's good news, bad news, depending, depending upon your current state or level of carnality. Right? Because God so loves you that if you're running from Him, He will hunt you down to try and make the relationship right again. That's what he'll do for you. It's a beautiful thing. And so what we're going to see, letter A, true love confronts. True love confronts. The word is rebuke. If I love you and you find yourself in this category, I will love you enough to rebuke you. Sometimes translated in your Bible as to reprove or to convince there's a very interesting translation and usage of this term in Matthew 18, 15, where that, that's translated as, tell him his fault. Tell him his fault. You have an erring brother. He's sinned against you. Go and tell him his fault between the two of you alone. See? This is the idea. It's confrontation. Now, going to do such a thing, I get it. It's not fun. Going to do such a thing, it's not comfortable. But hey, newsflash, love is not only comfortable. It's not only comfortable. That's the Hollywood lie. People think that if you go in love to confront them and to point out, to communicate to them, the thing that is hindering the relationship, that you're unloving. That's what they want to accuse you of. You're not loving. They're wrong. They're wrong. Because this is exactly what Jesus says. As many as I love, I confront. That's what I do. Now, in these last days of the church, nobody wants to confront anybody unless they happen to be in that sliver personality category that just likes it. <laughs> Some people just seem to like it, and people think I like it. I hate it. I don't run from it but I don't like it. I don't like it. But these days, it seems like everybody hates it to the point where nobody does it. They all let it go. And that's a real problem. Nobody wants to confront any, anyone else in the name of love, right? Just let them be. Don't bother them. Okay, but if you do that, that's not loving. It's not loving to just let them be. That's buying popcorn to watch the train wreck. That's what that is. And then gossiping afterward and saying, I knew that would happen. You hunt them down in love. And you let them know what the fault might be. Because you love them. We studied 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. The greatest chapter on love in all the Bible. It's translated as charity in that place. And it says in verse number 6, speaking of love, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Love rejoices in truth. So Paul can say to the Ephesians in chapter 4 and 15, 15 but speaking the truth in love. Some people love speaking the truth in anger. That's not right. You speak it in love, but speaking the truth is loving. 
Because people need the truth. The truth is what sets you free, right? I'm not going to leave you in bondage that you may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You can't grow up into him believing a lie, just feeling good today. Let me ask you a question. Was it loving for the prophet Nathan to confront King David after his sin with Bathsheba? Was it loving for Jesus to confront Peter and to call him Satan? Was it loving for Paul to confront the errors of the church in Corinth? You better believe it was. You better believe it. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Everyone that wounds you is not your enemy. And everyone that kisses you is not your friend. Was it loving for Judas Iscariot to approach and kiss Jesus in Gethsemane? Was it loving for Absalom to steal the hearts of the people from David by giving them hugs and kisses outside the city gates? No, absolutely it was not loving. Faithful wounds are like the wounds that you have when a surgeon cuts you open and removes the cancer. It hurts now, but man, it helps in the long run because love will do the surgery. Love will do the surgery. So true love confronts and then true love corrects, and that's the word to chasten. Now that word chasten, interestingly, is not the same word as punish or condemn or judge. To chasten is also translated as to learn or to teach or to instruct. So the first mention of the word chasten is in Deuteronomy 8, verse 5, where it says, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. In other words, the chastening comes out of a love relationship, a father-son relationship, because that's what families do. We love our families, especially our children. So in Hebrews chapter 12, we find the exact same scenario, the exact same message being propagated. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, a loving father to his children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord notice loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. This comes to us from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. I want you to see it to notice the difference in the wording. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his, here it is, correction. Because that's all chastening really is. It's just instruction with the idea of correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. So back to Hebrews 12, verse 7. If ye endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Because a father loves his own children, not the neighbor's children. Amen and amen. He loves his own children. When God is correcting you, he is loving you. That's what he's doing. Do you see that? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. <laughs> Promptly. That's what it means. Promptly. How many of you let your children watch television all day? I'm not done with the sentence yet, so don't answer sitting really close to the screen. No, you, you correct them and say, move farther away, you'll burn out your retinas. You may use your own language, but that's what you'll say. <laughs> you'll correct them because you love them. How many have let your children run wild, unsupervised, free-range children, only to develop selfish, rude, embarrassing, disturbing habits? Well, if you do that, you're not loving your children. They need correction. They need it. 
How many of you let your kids play in the middle of the street without, no, you love them. You warn them. You correct them. Oh, but I just don't want to upset them. They enjoy playing in the street. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> Look, when you need to worry is when you know you're messing up and there is no correction. Because that may be a hint that you're actually not one of God's children. Because he doesn't correct and discipline the devil's children. He corrects his children. There's only one message for the devil's children. Get saved. That's the only message for them. Hebrews 12, continuing, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall not we much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, and there's the key, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grieve, of course, nobody, nobody loves it in the moment. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So you're saying, Lord, that the long-term benefit is more important than the short-term discomfort. That's real love. So Jesus demonstrates faithful wounding in Mark chapter 10. and verse 17, we have this story of the man who comes and wants to know about eternal life. Verse 17, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled unto him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy mother and thy father. And this guy's like, awesome. I'm doing great so far. He answered and said to him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus did not respond by saying, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> he may have actually observed all of those commandments from his youth. But Jesus had an answer in verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. He loved him. And he said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, now shalt thou treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, because no chastisement for the present is joyous, it's grievous, for he had great possessions. I want you to notice that the loving response pointed out what he lacked. That was the loving response. Why? So that he could get it right. So can I just encourage you, church, in the case when somebody may come to you, confront you with a word of correction, don't just immediately think it's an attack. Don't just immediately think that they don't care about you. It might have taken unbelievable courage on their part to come to you out of love out of love and at the end of the day it may just all depend on how you receive it so that's our third point love received love received the last part of verse 19 be zealous therefore and repent listen we all love the stories the movies where somebody pursues somebody else out of a love relationship and that person maybe has rejected them and run away and against all odds you know by the end of the movie that great love has won over that other person, otherwise known as chick flicks. <laughs> the guy flicks, you know, the guy's spurned and he takes a big sword and chops everybody's heads off. Ah, you know. Okay, so in this case, the love story is a good story. Because God pursues those that he loves. And in his pursuit of his children who have left him, he confronts and he corrects. But then he just has to wait. He confronts, he corrects. But the person has a free will. He just has to wait and see what they say. They have to respond of their own free will. And he's hoping that they will be zealous and repent. That's what he's hoping, right? Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 8, Reprove not a scorner, 
lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he'll love thee. Sometimes your active confrontation and correction out of a spirit of love does nothing more than reveal the true character of the one you're pursuing. You go to correct them, and they hate you for it. Well, now we know that they're biblically considered a scorner. If they love you for it, they're wise. They're wise. The response to that should be in love, responding to the correction. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Proverbs 12, Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. But he that hateth reproof, well, he's brutish. You see, the right responses to God's last day's love would be, first and foremost, to change your mind. Be zealous. To be zealous literally is to covet, to desire, to eagerly seek after something. The proper response to this kind of love would be to finally see and understand that you indeed are lacking something. And you desire to have that which you're lacking. And after having received the chastening and the correction and the instruction in righteousness, you covet earnestly that, that best thing for yourself, which is only found in that right relationship with God. Once that light bulb turns on in your head, don't fight it. Because that's just your pride. Be wise. Consider what you are being told. Pray about it. And if it's true, and if it's for your good, then change your mind. Don't be so stubborn. Don't be so full of yourself that you're unwilling to admit that you were wrong. Let love draw you back home. Confess it. That means agree with God about the truth. Change your mind. And lastly, change your manner, your way of life. Repent. Now, the biblical definition of repentance is literally to change your mind but it's to change your mind that will always be followed by a change of behavior. So you can say you change your mind all day, but if you don't change how you live, well, that's just religious talk. If you actually change, true biblical repentance is not legalistic changing of activities without the mind. True biblical repentance is actually changing your mind about something, agreeing with God in that area, and then as a natural result, well, you're going to live different. You're going to literally turn around from the direction you were going and start going in the direction the Lord wants you to go. That's what it means. So what that results in is that you stop loving the things that drew you away from your first love. Stop loving those things. Return. Repent means return. Return back to faithfulness, to God's word regularly in your life, to prayer to him regularly in your life, to participation, regular, faithful participation with the body of Christ the church. Find a place and serve, give, be a part of what's going on. Stop loving those things, return to this kind of a life, and rebuild the relationship that you ran away from. If you happen to be here listening to me today, and if you happen to feel like the crosshairs are on your chest, I don't know who you are. I don't know if that's true. If that happens to be you, I have good news for you. Jesus Christ is willing to have you back. He's fought to get you back. And that's why back in Revelation 3 and verse 20, he says, hey, Laodiceans, hey, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, y'all might not agree all together, but if any one of you, if you, sir, if you, ma'am, any individual one, hear my voice 
and open the door. I'll come into him and we'll sup with him. I may not come into the others. They haven't opened the door yet. I may not sup with them. They haven't opened the door yet. But I'll come into him. I'll sup with him and he with me. To him that does this, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what Jesus Christ is saying to you individually. Because he's saying, I'm knocking. I'm knocking. If you hear my voice, can you hear it today? And if you open the door, he's not impolite. He doesn't crash it down. You have to open it. You have to invite him. Well, then he's ready for personal fellowship with you. Oh, and he's ready with great reward and honor and recognition as a result in the kingdom. Let's close with a couple of admonitions from the scriptures. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Without dissimulation is, in other words, let your love be sincere. Let your love be pure and sincere. Abhor that which is evil. Let the Bible define what's evil. Cleave to that which is good. Let the Bible define what's good. 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. If you genuinely love the Lord, you don't need to go on a campaign of telling everybody to try and convince them. If you genuinely love the Lord, you know what? It's evident. They know. People know. It's evident. But on the other hand, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, well, I mean, that's your choice, and that's the, that's the invitation we have for you today. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. That means accursed. The Lord is gentlemanly enough to allow you to make your choice. It breaks his heart. But he'll let you make your choice. Please don't make that choice. So in 1 John 3, 18, my little children, let us not love in word only. Not in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If his love is pursuing you, if his word has rebuked and chastened you, if if he has gotten through the thick crust that you've built up by running from him for a period of time, and you hear his voice and you hear the knocking, that's not a verse for evangelistic salvation. That's a verse for wayward Christian people who have left their first love and the Lord is pursuing you. If you hear his voice, will you respond? Not just by saying okay, but in deed and in truth. Let's go back to those elemental Christian disciplines of the Word of God and prayer and faithfulness to His body and let's rebuild the life that we started many years ago when we first received Him. And He'll receive you. And it'll be sweet and it'll be worth it. So all that's left, like Jesus, like Laodicea, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Please, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Please be zealous and repent. The choice is yours. Let's pray together.